But we will be uh, observing and celebrating and remembering uh, the Lord's Supper here this morning uh, as we conclude our time of worship. And I think it'll be very fitting and a very sweet time. Um, but as you do, we're about to read a passage. And as I mentioned to you last week, Paul is kind of the king of run-on sentences. And so sometimes when you read some of his stuff, you're like, slow down, buddy. I know you're excited, but uh, I'm having a hard time following. And so the passage we're about to read is almost like a pile-up of just words. But I'm hoping that we can slow down just enough to be able to see the beauty and the depth and just the deep, rich soil in which these words take root and that it would take root in your life and in your heart because very fitting of just the, the, the songs that we sang today in our time of worship. And, and, and my hope is that regardless of, of what your time of life is looking like right now or what the last week or the last year has been, is that this is a prayer that we're about to hear from the Apostle Paul over the, the church of Colossae, over these Colossians, but it's also something that I hope that you will receive today in the midst of where you're at in your life this morning. So let's read Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. That's going to be our text today, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to dive in. Paul says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, referring to their faith, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before we pray, just kind of an overarching theme that I'm hopeful that we're able to see this morning. Even this morning, we had our time of prayer, our first Sunday prayer. And I shared with that group that as we're about to pray, we want to pray over those things that are certainly physical. We don't want to diminish those. But you've probably been a lot of a prayer meetings, as I have, of where those are sometimes the only things that are offered up. But there are some much deeper-rooted things that are going on in light of the physical, where our hearts, our minds, just our spirit is uneasy or at unrest, or maybe some of those big issues of life that are hard to really kind of pin down because it's, God, what do you want me to do about this job? God, what do you want me to do about this relationship? God, I'm stressed out about my financial situation. There, there's all those other things that go on in our life as well. And my hope is that this morning is that you will see that we will have deeper prayers for believers in Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ, but also for yourself, that we would be a people that we would want to dive deep in our prayer life. And not that we don't pray for the physical, but we go deeper as well, both and, that we would have a heart to echo prayers similar to the Apostle Paul as he started off last week and as he finishes here uh, this morning. So let's pray to that end. Father, as we come into this time together, what a joy it is to be with uh, a church family who has a love for you and for your word. But Lord, it can be very easy for us right now just to go through the motions of what we do on a Sunday and what we do when we come together as a church family. And so, Father, I pray that we would give you just the, the attention uh, that you deserve and, Father, that we would be able to hear from you clearly this morning. And, Lord, I do. I pray that our prayer lives 
in light of hearing from your word would be affected tomorrow. And so if you would, would you just pray for yourself right now and just ask this, God, help me to go deeper. Help me to go deeper. And if you would, would you pray for me that I would be a a help to you and say what the Lord would have me to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to start off with, we often, we don't like to pray. We say that we do. We often say, I'm praying for you, but oftentimes we don't like to pray. As mentioned, if you call a prayer meeting, it's one of the quickest ways to clear out a room because people are like, I can pray on my own time. My question to that was always, are you? Are you actually doing it? A lot of people I've, over the years in ministry have, will call together a prayer meeting of sorts, and it's like, I would love to come, but I can pray at my house. You can, but there's something unique about coming together and praying together that, in the same way coming together to worship together is unique from your own personal devotion time of worship, there's something unique about how God has designed and created us to do that to, to, together. But I think a reason why oftentimes we don't want to, to, to pray is I think it's because it boils down, it's in my life as well, is that we're, we're incredibly selfish and we're incredibly independent individuals. We, we don't want to feel beholden to someone, and we want to think that we got it, we got it figured out, and we have to fight against that. And sometimes when we pray, I do believe that we can pray some shallow prayers. We just say things that are wrote and memorized of something that you heard your, your grandpa pray or your grandma pray, which nothing against your grandma or grandpa. I love them. I haven't even met them, but I love them. But it's that idea of I can remember just growing up and, and, and you know, uh, bless the hands who have prepared this food. And as a kid, I was like, there's just hands in the kitchen preparing food. Like, that's kind of weird. Uh, what does that mean? Pray a hedge of protection. That's great, but I would rather have a wall. Can we, can we, have we advanced beyond hedges at this point? Lord, I want, a, I want a nice concrete wall of protection in my life. And we, we sometimes we say things without realizing what we're saying and who we're talking to. And so my hope is that, again, this morning, we would understand the importance of prayer, the priority of prayer. And yes, a simple answer or definition of praying is that it's talking to God. But my hope is that we would go a a little deeper than that. That is true, that prayer is asking God to do only what God can do. It's recognizing a need, a dependence. It's we're wanting to align ourselves with His purposes and not saying, God, you come over here to me. It's saying, as I pray, I'm coming under you because, well, you're God and, (laughs) and, and I'm not. I think we also pray because it honors God. It demonstrates our weakness and our need for someone who is greater and more powerful in our life. I believe prayer is also not only helpful, but studies have shown it's actually healthy. You are a healthier physical individual if you actually have a devoted prayer life. And not only are you more healthy physically, your relationships are healthier. The statistics, again, demonstrate specifically in the marriage relationship, those who pray together, the, the, uh, the, the likelihood of divorce, the statistics, it just goes way down. It's like one out of every 1,000-something individuals, couples who will divorce. But those who are praying together, they, they, they have healthier marriages with one another. But prayer ultimately is what I see is that it's dependence upon the Lord and that we want to come to Him because we need Him, and we know that we can't navigate this life in and of ourselves. And the Apostle Paul here is he's specifically over these several verses, is he is petitioning 
that the Colossians be filled in order that they would flourish. And that's just the first point. And really, that's the only point we have today. I have a lot of sub-points, but that's really the main thing, is Paul is giving this run-on sentence of a prayer request. He's asking. He's making supplication. He's making a petition, an earnest request, that these individuals in this church, that they would be filled, not just to be filled, but to be filled in order to flourish in this life that you would thrive in this life as a follower of Jesus, and not just eke by, not just get by, not just simply survive, but that you would thrive and flourish in this life. Uh, personally, I told you last week, Colossians is perhaps my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, it's probably the one that I've studied the most out of, out of any just for a variety of different reasons. It was the first book that I ever did a real deep dive study with a, a group of men uh, in college. And it was the first time I really learned some biblical interpretation principles of how to read and study and interpret the Bible. And it's just become very near and dear to me. And, and one of the things that I would tell you is as I told you last week, take the time to read the book of Colossians one time a week. It only takes you about 15 minutes to read the entirety of the book of Colossians. It's not a big book. But if you'll do that over the course of this fall sermon series, you will be surprised at how near and dear this book will come to you. And of those of you that really want to take it up a notch, write it out. You find different ways in which you're engaging with the Word of God. I'm going to share this even later today in our small group meeting when we're going through Joshua of, man, it's a great principle to not only read the Word, but sometimes when you're doing your daily devotion, you're just reading in your mind, and so you kind of have your mind's voice hearing what you're reading. But another great biblical principle or tool of just getting the Word in you, and the hope is that we're not just reading it, we're retaining it. It's taking root. Read it out loud. Read it out loud. Write it out. Find just different ways in which your other senses are engaging other than just your eyes with the Word of God. And so uh, that's just free. You don't have to pay extra for that. That, That's just things that you can do because we want to have this take root in our life so that when we come up with difficulty, the Spirit of God is bringing the Word of God to our mind and we're like, oh yeah, that's how I navigate this season. That's how I travel through this storm because I know the Word of God. And so this passage particularly, verses 9 through 14, is in particularly a very deeply personal passage because I believe it's when I graduated from college at the University of Oklahoma, as you know, the greatest university in all the land. Uh, we won yesterday. Ooh. Um, but as I went from college to graduate school to seminary, my parents, they, they purchased me a new Bible. It's not this one, but they purchased me a new Bible at that time to go into that next season of life. And in the front cover, it had this passage, this prayer written out over, over me, that this would be what I would experience going into that next season of life. And you know how you do sometimes when you get a gift? Well, one, I was like, this is really cool. I'm glad that I got the Bible. But sometimes it's kind of like, oh, this, this, could, this could go really bad. But uh, I'm not a big cards guy. I, they're great to get in the mail, but... Um, I've never just been a big cards guy. I, I love just hearing words from people, that kind of thing. And, um, and so when I got this, I remember like kind of reading. It's like, oh, that's sweet. Thank you. And kind of close it up like I do with the car. Like, thank you. I appreciate that. But then as years went on, I become more and more appreciative of reading that prayer of my parents over me going into that season of life. And I would say for parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, this is a powerful prayer to pray over your kids. I don't care how old they are either. Because would you not want anyone in your life that you are so close to that this is what they would experience? Yes, 
Lord, help them get that job. Yes, Lord, I pray that they have a wonderful marriage. Yes, Lord, I pray that you would heal this physical issue in their life. But when I read this, this has a depth about it that is like, I know that when I am long and gone and I'm with the Lord in heaven, this is what I want for my child more than financial stability more than the best career path they ever had, more than the highest education they could ever attain, more than all the accolades and accomplishments. Man, if they have this, I know that they're exactly where they need to be in right relationship with the Lord. And so as we kind of dive into this, the first thing that he mentions when he's praying over them about the faith that he has heard is he says, I have not ceased to pray for you. He's praying without ceasing. And I know that's a concept that sometimes we hear that. It's even in Scripture in 1 Thessalonians. We hear that and we're like, is that possible to pray without ceasing? And this is what I would say. It's not that you're constantly muttering things all the time and, and talking out loud, that there's just a, a, a sense within your life that you're constantly coming before the Lord because He is your God. A great example of this, in the Old Testament, there's a character by the name of Nehemiah. Some of you may know him, some of you may not, but Nehemiah was in a foreign land because the nation of Israel had been captured and taken to a different land, and he had actually risen up within the ranks to become the cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes, uh, the king of Persia. And some of his brethren, some of his fellow countrymen, had the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild. And what happens is, is his friends show up, they come back to Persia, and they say, Nehemiah, we haven't done anything. The, the, the temple, or excuse me, the wall is still in ruins. The temple has been rebuilt, but the wall of our city, which represents so much to them in that day and time, is still in rubble and still in ruins, and Nehemiah is just broken. He's like, how can it be? This is not only a slight against us as a country, but also against our God. And he begins to pray, and if you do the if you go into the, 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 the calendar, he's essentially praying for about three months of, God, give me an opportunity. God, what would you have me do? God, could I speak something to the king? Because I'm in his presence on a daily basis. So for three months, he prays with this patience and this endurance and this steadfastness. I'm going to continue to go to the Lord. So for three months, if you will, his prayer is not answered in the way that he might want, but he continues to pray. There's a steadfastness, a praying without ceasing. And then when the opportunity comes, he's before the presence of the king, and it says that Nehemiah is downcast, he's sad. That doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but that king, if you as a king, if this guy over here is Debbie Downer, real frumpy and down, if you're sad and now you're making me sad, as king, I don't like that. Kill him. Get him out of my court. He has that kind of power and authority. You don't want to just be a sad sack in front of people. Like, that's not a good thing. But instead, he looks at Nehemiah and he says, basically, what's going on, bud? <laughs> Talk to me. And before he responds to the king of the greatest empire in that day and time of Persia, talks to God. It's in the Scripture. It's that sense of praying without ceasing. I prayed for three months, but even before I'm about to go through the act of what I've been praying for, I'm praying again. Before I talk to the king of what I need from him, I'm talking to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, of what do I need. There is just this attitude of praying without ceasing. May it be true for us. The other thing is he says, not only that he prayed, uh, not ceased to pray for the Colossians, he goes on and he also says that he's praying that they would know the will of God, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. They're praying that you would know the will of God. Man, that phrase has been perhaps the most 
It's a very familiar phrase that I've heard from so many people, because perhaps other than how do I know that I'm saved, perhaps the second greatest question, maybe even the first greatest question for a lot of us, because we're accomplished-based people, uh, is what is God's will for my life? How do I know the will of God? And I think it's a fun and fair and honest question to ask, but here's the problem. Stay with me, because I think this is important, because this is ultimately what he's praying, that you would know the will of God, be filled with the knowledge of God's will is sometimes people have said, well, to know the will of God, it's almost this mystical, ethereal, you'll feel a goosebump, or there'll be a flutter in your stomach, and there's the will of God. Please don't let that be the determination of the will of God in your life. This feeling, feelings are not bad, but feelings can easily lead you astray because our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We've got to be careful with this feeling-based mentality or experiential. Not only is the mystical scary, but the circumstantial. And what I mean by the circumstantial is how do I know God's will for my life? Well, God, if, uh, if this bird flies into the window of my car, then that means I know that you want me to fly onto the mission field where there are those kinds of birds with those kinds. Of, and, and we do all kinds of things of where circumstantially that means, well, this must be God's will. The way that we phrase it today is, God, just open a door and I will walk through that door. And when God closes the door, he opens a window. There are some things that have crept into the life of the church that's just garbage, and that's one of them. And some of you might go, that's what I've used to determine God's will for my life. Stop it. God is not some kind of mystical, ooey-gooey being that's like, I really want you to struggle to figure this out. God cares enough for you to speak to you through His Word. And some of you are going, well, what about the specific things that I'm asking God to do? I I get that. I I 100% get that. But when we follow a door, that means you're not following a person. And Jesus didn't say, follow a door. He said, follow me. Follow me. Our desire is that we want to follow Jesus in a day-to-day relationship with Him so that when He does move in our life and we do get a, a sense or a feeling, we do get an opportunity that is an open door before us, we aren't saying, well, that's an open door, so therefore that's God, because there's a prince that is the power of the air, and his name is Satan, and he can open doors too. And he can close doors because he has that power and authority to do so. He can open and shut windows. So we want to be careful about the circumstances being what determines the will of God. We want the will of God to be determined according to the Word of God and the Spirit of God that dwells within you. And so there are also this this idea of, well, what is God's will for my life? And I 100% agree, because I've gone through this, Lord, should I become, should I take the call of being the pastor of Mission Point? What is your will for me in that and for my family? It's an honest and fair question to ask. As we ask those things, sometimes we need to peel back and say, before I ask that, just simply, God, what is your will? And does it say anywhere in Scripture what your will is? And maybe if I just live out what your will is expressly articulated within Scripture, then maybe other areas of my life will clear up because I'm already on that trajectory and path of living out your will of where you've already commanded. Here's some examples. Did you know that it's God's will for your life for sanctification, that you're working out your salvation? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God, what's your will for my life? That you be sanctified. And he gets really specific of what I mean about your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 
So when someone comes along and says, God really wants me to be happy in this relationship, and He wants me to, you know, in, enjoy this life, and, and this relationship's got to continue, and so part of that is maybe going to have to be, you know, us engaging in sexual activity, and God is just simply saying, my will is your sanctification, and sanctification is that you abstain from sexual immorality. And that's the whole umbrella of that. Lust, pornea, pornography, extramarital affairs, premarital, all that kind of stuff. This is the will of God for your life. So are you obeying that? Or do you just want God to give you specifically what you want to hear from Him of my life because it's about me? Or is it, God, I want to know what your will is and let me align myself to what your will is? The other thing is, these are just a few examples, the government. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, I'm just going to read kind of a, 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 the beginning of 13, the end of 15. You can read the whole passage if you want later. But submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And he goes on to talk about kings and governors and so on and so forth. And at the end of verse 15, it says, for such is the will of God. And that may be a difficult thing for you because you may be someday living in a different country or even within this country, and there are things that you don't agree with, and you go, I don't know about that. And the Bible says that I'm to submit to those institutions, the Bible says that is the will of God, that we submit to those institutions. Suffering is another example. 1 Peter 4.19, let those who also suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. There are going to be moments where you suffer, and that's according to the will of God. Giving thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be a people who are a people of gratitude. I honestly believe, and we even did this in our prayer time this morning uh, back in the conference room, is I feel like verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5, that when it says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, I think that's just in the middle of a whole barrage of what Paul is saying, here's the conduct of Christian life, and oh yeah, this is the will of God. All of these things are the will of God, that we would help the weak that, that we would uh, not uh, give evil for evil, that we would give good to people, that, that we would um, rejoice always. Like, there's a whole list of there. What is the will of God? Right? Here is just a litany of a list in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 of what the will of God is. And so one of my favorite studies, some of you maybe have, have had this study or gone through it, but Henry Blackaby, years ago, in the, I think, 1990, 1991, he, he came up with a study called uh, Experiencing God. And the subtitle is Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> because especially I can remember at all seasons of life, but especially I can remember uh, whenever I was in, in college and that kind of thing, I was like, man, I would really love to know what is God's will for my life. But he, he posed a question that has stuck with me ever since. He said, he said, oftentimes what we do is we ask, what is God's will for my life? And he says, a better question is simply this, what is God's will? And then submit and adjust my life to Him. So here might be the question. If I don't want to base my, my life or my decisions on following and knowing the will of God on mystical or circumstantial, then how do I know the will of God? Well, this is back where Paul says, I want you to be filled with I want you to be filled with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That's what he's praying for. Literally, the word there, when it says in verse 9, he prays and asks that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. This idea of filled with the knowledge of his will is that you would be completely filled, totally controlled 
with this knowledge. There are other passages where that same concept, that same word in the Greek is being used, of where maybe the disciples were, uh, they knew fear, they were full of fear. What that meant was they're being totally controlled by that fear in their life. What Paul is saying, I want you to be totally controlled, consumed, filled with the knowledge of his will. And what this knowledge is, is that you would be filled with the epinosis, that's the, the word there, the epinosis, the, the above or the on top of knowledge, that there would be this deep and thorough knowledge of God's will that you are controlled with, that you are controlled by. And I believe a part of knowing that, and we'll get into this later on in, in Colossians chapter 2, but I believe part of doing that, of knowing what is God's will, is if your will contradicts with your word, then it's not your will. So I need to know your word because you do not contradict and you do not lie. So if I don't know your word, how am I going to know your will? So I got to get into the word to know what you have to say. And I want to be filled with this. I want to be equipped with knowledge. That idea of knowledge, and we're going to kind of break down knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. That idea of knowledge is maybe this idea of data and facts. But then the idea of understanding is comprehension or insight of those facts, of that data that you receive. And this is my example. I hated physics. <laughs> when I was in high school, I had to take a physics class. It was like, let's take science, ugh, and let's take math, ugh, and let's put them together. And it was just not for me. Bless your heart for those of you that that is your forte, because we need you. We need those engineers. My, one of my brothers, he's an engineer, and he's fantastic. I cannot do that. It's just my brain does not do that. And what would happen is this incredible teacher, he was a college professor who was teaching a high school class, and I was like, dude, buddy, I, I can't hang on. But my friends in the class, all of this knowledge, all of these facts, all of this data was being uh, articulated to us. And I was like, that's knowledge. That's a data. That's a fact. But I ain't understanding anything that you're saying. I need some understanding and some insight to go along with these knowledge and facts. And I was like, it's probably the teacher. And I look around and my buddy was like, oh, that makes sense. And I was like, does it? Does it really? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. If you do the X to the Y to the fulcrum, I'm like, no, uh, let, let, let's, let's have a Bible study. That was my mindset. And so it, it was just so difficult for me to where knowledge is being given, but understanding is not, is not happening for me. So we want to be filled with knowledge, with understanding. We want to understand the knowledge, but we also need wisdom, spiritual wisdom. One guy said wisdom is this idea of street knowledge, <laughs> how to handle the knowledge, how to apply the knowledge that you understand in your life. This idea that knowledge is going to affect the way you live. It's this idea that no longer, the, the idea of wisdom versus knowledge is, knowledge is maybe in the classroom, wisdom is in the lab. You've gone outside of the classroom of gathering the information, now you've gone into the lab to apply the information. And so when you guys are reading the Word, it's not just that you're gathering facts and Bible trivia of, I'll listen to what I can quote and listen to all the things I know about Jesus, and I could win that game if I wanted to. Good. That's great. I've heard some people say, I think I've learned all that I need to know. That's scary, but okay, you've learned a lot, but are you applying it? Is there wisdom in your life with the knowledge that you're receiving, and not just years ago, but now? Because I don't know about you, but I still need to live this life now with wisdom. Otherwise, oh, it gets kind of rough and kind of scary and kind of difficult. That's what we need. And this is, this is the big thing. Paul's request is that they be filled, totally controlled, 
with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what he wants for them. But again, it's not just so that way, look at you, you have the knowledge and the will of God in your life. Do something with it. Oh, church, may we be careful not to be that kind of people, that kind of fellowship that is like, I got so much more information and I know how to apply it to my life. But he says in verse 10, I'm praying for this so that. It's probably one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture is when the writer says, da 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 so that. That lets you know, this is what I want you to do. <laughs> this is what I want you to experience. This is why I'm praying this thing. I don't want you just to have, I know the will of God in my life. It's do something with it. May there be some results in your life as a result of being filled Being filled with the knowledge of God's will results in the life described here in verses 10 through 12. Really, 10 10 through 12. You are equipped to live out these results. And there's four ways in which we see this. So the the first point that I gave you uh, at the very beginning was that Paul is petitioning that they be filled. Why? To flourish. Well, here's the flourishing part. We talked about the filling part. Now let's talk about what it is to flourish now that you are filled with the knowledge of His will. And the reason why we know this is this is to get a little nerdy, which is fun for me, uh, is at this point in, in verse 10, when he says, so that, be filled, why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The word walk there is kind of the main concept, and then there are four participles that come off of that. They're supporting this main concept. And you're like, are we going to get into grammar? And some of you are like, how you feel about physics is how I feel about grammar. Um, (laughs) Well, welcome to my world. So so that you will walk, that you will live, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the Lord. And, And this is also a bonus. Two other times Paul says this in the book of Ephesians and Philippians. We read it earlier with Dalton. There's something about Paul in multiple letters, and interestingly enough, all three of them are letters that he penned when he was in prison. And as he's in prison, three of these letters, he's like, man, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There's something about that. Three of the four prison epistles that Paul writes at the beginning of it, he's like, man, would you walk in a manner worthy of your calling, worthy of the Lord? So here are the four principles, that if we would live these out because we're filled up, this is how we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The first is, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit, bearing fruit, that you would have a fruitful work within your life. It's this idea, some of you, uh, you like to plant things and see them grow. Uh, Tiffany's kind of getting into that. Uh, Some of you I know are really enjoy that that kind of thing. You have a green thumb. Here's a here's a thought that's really mind-baffling. If the farmer goes out to the field and he just looks at the field and says, yep, grow. Ain't nothing gonna grow. But if he goes, oh, I got some seeds. I hope it grows. I'm gonna do the work. I'm gonna till the soil. I'm not responsible for the harvest, but there will never be a harvest if I don't plant the seeds. There will never be growth in your relationships. There will never be growth spiritually within our church. There will never be growth numerically within our church. There will never be growth unless there is work to put in the seed. That doesn't mean that we're busy, but there's got to be a desire that we would want to do the work in order for there to be fruit, in order for fruit to rise up. Every farmer recognizes that. That's where we have to come to an understanding is that I can't change people to know the grace of God, but I can certainly show them the grace of God in my life. 
Are you demonstrating the grace of God to others that are around you? That's part of conducting yourself, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that will begin to bear fruit in every good work, is what he says. When I preach the gospel, I understand that my words cannot change you, but He can change you. My hope is that the words that I give are a seed that can be planted in the root of your soil, of your heart, and it takes root, and God causes the growth, because only God can transform. Same is true for all of you, with your kids, with your grandkids. It's a hard thing to let go of that control, but I will be faithful to work in what I can. So are you doing good work? And this is the way that I would question this, or ask this. It's a very broad question. Are you doing good work? Are you, are you, uh, are you increasing uh, or bearing good fruit in every good work? Maybe this is the way that you ask. If Jesus is observing you and what you're doing, would he say, that's some good work? Would he approve of your work? Or would he look over your shoulder and go, Netflix again? Would he look over your shoulder and go, What are, you doing with, what are you doing with your time? And again, this is where we have to be very careful because we could see this as, well, let's be really, really busy. That's not scriptural either. But we want to be a people who are bearing fruit because of good work. Okay, we've got to move on. Are you, are you doing good work? Uh, second is, if you're going to flourish, he wants them to increase in knowledge, increase in knowledge. He continues in verse 10, he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not just that they heard the gospel, but they're ever growing, ever maturing in the relationship with the Lord. Again, a healthy marriage grows in knowledge. Healthy things grow in knowledge. Are you increasing in your knowledge of God? The question to maybe ask and to answer is, what are you filling your soul with? What is giving you satisfaction, contentment, or peace? And again, I'm not anti. There are things that I believe God has given us in this world to enjoy. Like, go on a nice, beautiful day. If you like golf, go hit some golf balls. Have a great time. Enjoy that. If you enjoy, I don't know, working on your property, or you enjoy cooking, or you enjoy just hanging out with people, it's not, this is not Paul saying, don't do those things. Don't enjoy what this life has offered you. But it's just coming back to this. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Are you feeding your soul Because right now, ever since COVID, I feel like for a lot of people in the world is that we're filling our mind with chaos or chaotic forms of entertainment, and then we're surprised that we have anxiety. Like we keep hearing about all the negative and the bad and this and this and this, and it's like, why am I so anxious? What are you filling yourself up with? Is it the world or is it increasing in the knowledge of God? Number three. Number three, the the third participle, the third way in which we flourish because we are filled with the knowledge of His will is that we are strengthened with power. Strengthened with power. He, He says in verse 11, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. He wants them to be able to see that they can endure. He wants them to endure with patience and with joy. That this idea, the, the, the words there in the original language, is that this idea of endurance and patience is that there is this heavy weight that is on me, but I can stand and bear to be underneath it. It's this idea that I can take the heat for a long time. I have patient endurance. And somehow, the frequent evidence of those who are in Christ is that they can endure with patience and joy in the midst of difficulty. And the question might become is, well, how? 
How is that possible? How is someone going to be able to uh, attain all steadfastness, all endurance and patience, and do that with joy? How is that even possible? And I think it's a great question. But you have to look at the text. The text doesn't say endure or have steadfastness, but rather it says be strengthened with power. That's how you endure. You don't just by the grit of your teeth and the, the, you know, the, 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 the fortitude that you have within your soul of like, I'm just going to grin and bear it and I'm going to kind of get through it. It's no, I need God. I need the strength of all power according to His glorious might. If I'm going to go through this storm, this heartache, this tragedy, I have to have His strength to endure patiently with joy. And when people see that, there's something about it. This was part of what fanned the flames of Christianity in the early church. I mean, think about this. You hear the gospel of Jesus, and you're in the early church time. Rome is the great empire. And years later, in like the uh, 60 ADs to about the 90 ADs, 100 ADs, these Christians, they're growing, and they're multiplying, and the gospel is being shared. And it's like, I'm faithful to Jesus. Jesus is faithful to me, but your faithfulness is now sending you to an arena to be mauled by an animal. Or some of the emperors, specifically Nero, Domitian, these guys were just some evil people. To where literally they would, they would take Christians because they wanted to blame, Nero wanted to blame the Christians for the burning of Rome when most people think Nero was responsible for the burning of Rome. And he took Christians and he would take them to his garden parties and he would tie them to a post and light them on fire to light his parties. I mean, just sick, statistic stuff that happened to our brothers and sisters in Christ upon whose shoulders we stand There are stories, as I've read to you before, of Polycarp, the bishop, the pastor of Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, and he has to go into an arena to to be killed, and as he is pierced with the sword, he continues to pray for them, mirroring the prayer of Jesus when He was on the cross. Stephen, in the book of Acts, when he's being stoned to death, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Like They're still interceding in the midst of these incredible difficulties. How do you endure patiently, with joy, when that's going on in your life. Only by the grace of God, only by His strength is that possible. You don't just muster that up. It's God and His glorious might in your life. And this is the thing. In your workplace or in your family, there's maybe an individual who doesn't know Christ. When they see you who says, I love Jesus, when they see you go through difficulty, and not if you go through, but when you go through, because the older I get, you're going to go through it from time to time. When you go through it, how do you endure? What does your patience look like? And it's not to be fake. We talked about this last week. It's not to be fake. It's like, oh, this is great. It's like, no, this is hard. But with tears down my face, I don't get it, Lord, but I love you and I trust you. And as you go through that, that person at work, that person uh, in your family, that friend or that neighbor on the street that you've built a relationship with, more often than not, maybe you've had this, and praise God if you have, more often than not, someone's not going to come up to you and say, tell me about Jesus. I would love it if they would. Tell me about the grace of God, salvation in Christ. But what they might see is, man, he and his, his spouse, man, they're going through some rough stuff. I've heard about what's going on with their kids. How, how are they still standing? <laughs> how, how are they still being kind and, 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 and thoughtful of others? Like, how is that? And then when they go through it, 
They could go to a lot of different things that the world can offer, but when they experience hardship and suffering, they realize that something is missing within them internally, and the only resource that they have could very well be you because of how you endured with steadfastness, with patience, joy, joyfully. There's a lot of debate at the end of verse 11 of that word joyously. Does it go with verse 11 or does it go to verse, with verse 12? I tend to think it goes with verse 11. But as we go on, the next thing that is given to you that Paul says, I want you to be filled up so that you can flourish in bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, strengthened with power. But the last thing is giving thanks. He says, I want you to be filled up with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can give thanks. And again, just like we saw last week, you don't just give thanks in general. You give thanks to the Father. You give thanks to God. You explode with gratitude in light of everything that you've experienced. And my hope, last week, you guys, we had that interactive time at the end, and you guys came and you filled up that plate with all these different things that you were thankful for, and I got to pray over those and read those on Monday, and it was this big old stack, and it was so encouraging to my soul to read of what you're thankful for, even though I know some of you, and your names weren't on it, and they didn't need to be, but I know some of you are going through some things that are really hard, and yet here is what I'm thankful for, even in the midst of when things are hard. That's a good discipline to have, and that's exactly what Paul is saying. Man, you're going to flourish in this life. Do you really want to thrive in this life as a Christian, no matter the circumstance? Be an individual who gives thanks more than complaint, more than criticism. It's not that we can't be critical of things. It's not that we can be honest about some things and complain about it. But man, allow yourself to explode with gratitude. If you don't actively have gratitude for the Lord, then this is what happens. If we don't have gratitude, there's a vacuum in your life, and something needs to fill that spot. And generally what happens when you are not a grateful person, you become an entitled person. And when you become an entitled person, then over time, when you don't get what you think you are entitled to, then you become a, uh, a resentful person. And when you become resentful of what you don't think you deserve to get, then you become a person who attacks and goes after. And dive headlong into gratitude. Dwell on what you have. And this is what you have. Listen to what I'm, he says, giving thanks to the Father. Listen to what the Father has done. Number one, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has qualified you to share in an inheritance. You're not qualified in and of yourselves to be an heir of God. That's God's work. God made you adequate for eternal life. And this, <laughs> this is the cool thing. Jesus was given everything by God the Father because He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is God in the flesh. Like Jesus gets it all. He, he is the Son of God. And yet He says, I want to share it with you. He shares his inheritance, that we all become heirs to inherit into this kingdom. How is that possible? Because what happens, it says, for he rescued us, referring to God the Father, he rescued us from the domain of darkness. He rescued, he delivered you from darkness. And the third thing that he does that we would give thanks is he not only rescues us or delivers us from the domain of darkness, he transfer us, transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, you get to go out of this camp that is bleak and dark and into this camp that is light and glorious. And the reason why is because you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in his son because of Jesus and his work upon the cross, his victory over death and the grave. You are qualified, rescued, delivered, and transferred. You have reason to give thanks. You absolutely have reason to give thanks. So this morning, I could think of no better way for us to be able to respond than in two ways. The first is this, because I don't want to make assumptions. 
You may be in this room or you're joining us online and you might be saying, man, just like Paul, that was a lot of information. What do I do with that? I think you read this prayer of Paul to these people and you would just begin to say, you know what? Do I, have, I, have I been rescued and transferred from one thing to another? Have I ever experienced redemption and the forgiveness of sin? What does that even mean? If that's something that you have any kind of question on, of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, then today is the day that the best thing I could offer you is Jesus. And you may not know what that means or what that looks like, but I want to offer you Jesus. And so when we're finished, some of this is on you. I don't want to just feed you like a baby bird. You, you have to take responsibility. If you have never come to saving faith in Christ, then you need to visit with me or you need to visit with someone about what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have the ability to be rescued and delivered and transferred? It's available for you today. But for others of you, now is our time where we get to ultimately express gratitude and give thanks with the Lord's Supper. And so if you don't have one of these yet, go to the front, go to the back, and, and, and get this, because we're going to observe the Lord's Supper as a church family at this time. This is a practical, hands-on means and way by which we can live out the last of these participles, and we can give thanks And I would encourage you maybe shake it up a little bit in sediment. But I also, uh, a lot of times before service, our, the majority of our praise team, they'll we'll do this beforehand. And I wanted just, for this Sunday, I, 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 wanted, I wanted us to be able to do this together. For those that are working hard in the back and those that work hard in the front. I wanted us as a church family to be able to gather around the table, if you will. And I can't get this thing to come off. And what I want to invite you to do is, I don't know, you don't have to do it this way, but I just want you to take that little wafer before you put it in your mouth and eat it. If you already did, you're okay. Jesus loves you. I want you to take this, and I just, I just want you to... With your head bowed, your eyes closed, or maybe not your eyes closed, but just maybe with your head bowed, just look at this, this little wafer. And take a moment to give thanks. Take a moment to just say, this represents your body, broken for me and my friends and all of humanity. And this morning before we partake of the bread, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that if you're coming to the table in an unworthy manner because you haven't examined yourself, your relationship with the Lord, maybe there's just areas of sin in your life, don't go through the motion and just put this in your mouth and then drink this. May that never be. May we never just go through the motions. Our relationship is not a motion, it's a relationship. But take a moment just to 
give thanks. Maybe kind of confess some of that sin in your life that you need to. And just enjoy for a moment the inheritance that you have, the darkness that you've been delivered from, and the kingdom that you are transferred into. Just take a moment. Scripture tells us that while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then if you would, for just a moment, peel back that little layer for the juice And as you know, this represents the blood of Jesus. This is that symbolic representation of His spilled blood upon the cross. As I've told you before, sometimes the question is asked, why blood? Well, because blood represents life. And this is the life of Jesus symbolically that He shed. That we might, His death, His life that was given, that we might have life eternal. So before you drink... Just take a moment, express your gratitude and your thanksgiving to God the Father of what you have in Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, when he had taken a cup, and listen to this, and given thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Amen and amen. Ladies, if you would, come on up. Uh, we're going to conclude our, our time uh, with, a, with a song and with a I would imagine for many of you, probably a familiar hymn. It's called Rock of Ages. And I think it fits in very well with what we've looked at today. And I would just invite you to do as we do anytime when we have a time of response. You got to kind of respond and interact with the Lord's Supper. But at this time, this is a chance for you through another interactive means with your voice and with your heart just to give thanks to the Lord of what you have. And so for some of you, that might mean that I just want to pray. <laughs> uh, I'm not in a, in a position where I want to sing. I just want to pray. Do that. Others of you, man, lift, lift your voice up and thank Him through this song. And then others of you, man, if, if there's someone that would just say, hey, I would, I would just appreciate uh, to visit with you even just briefly, I'll be right there. I'd be happy to talk to you. I'd love to be able to visit with you about what you've heard from the Lord today. But if you guys would, would you go ahead and stand Let's sing this song together, or you pray, but you respond how the Lord has led you from what you've heard this morning. Maybe it's, God, what is your will for my life? Again, I don't think a bad question, it's just maybe not the best question. I think it's eventually you ask that. Maybe this morning it's just, Lord, help me to live out your will according to what your word has already articulated. Let's praise him.